Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to me. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. I have found a new baby, and that is Django here on the Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening. My friend David Wright writes and says, David says, TV says there's a big snowstorm coming. Lots of snow and wind making for near zero visibility for people driving in it. I just lashed an eight-foot pole on my mailbox and put a big orange traffic cone on the top of the pole. I figure it will help out the town snowplow driver by giving him something 
to aim for. humble farmer. Thank you for listening. When I find a new book dealing with language at a lawn sale, I buy it for a dime or so with the intent of donating it to the Penobscot School. You know about the Penobscot School. It's that great language school in Rockland. The last time I donated a box of books to the Penobscot School, I made business cards and put one inside each book 
so friends would know where the book came from when, when they get it. A few weeks ago, a book on Spanish verbs arrived in the mail. A friend in Owl's Head said he'd found it at the school, probably in a box containing books marked free, and he wanted to return this book on Spanish verbs to its rightful owner. Well, this this morning I couldn't find my Italian pronoun cards to occupy my mind while struggling through my morning walk, so I picked up Spanish verbs, which was right there handy on the office shelf. I only mention this because of a Spanish sentence I just read, which I thought said, The exercise makes a teacher out of the novice. Get it? The exercise makes a teacher out of the novice. I read the Spanish and thought it said, The exercise makes a teacher out of the novice. I called my brother and I said, Listen to this. Do you know what the English translation in the book for this is? The exercise makes a teacher out of the novice. And without any hesitation at all, my brother said, Practice makes perfect. Let her hear from Bill and Hope. 
Bill and Hope says, Dear Humble, Just caught your insightful comments on WRFR while waiting for my wife. I'm a cat lover, but I've got to admit you got it mostly right. There's just two things you missed. First, you called cats domesticated animals. Wrong. The owners are the domesticated ones. And then, just think about what the world would be like if these cute cats didn't kill millions of birds. What would it be like if the world around us were filled with several hundred times as many birds as we have now? Airplanes would have to be grounded. They can't build a 1.1 million dollar fence at Owl's Head to keep the birds off the runways. The noise of bird songs would drive us crazy. Finally, the uh, solid waste left behind by those birds would put the fertilizer companies out of business. The organic farmers would put the scientific farmers out of business. Wading through it might be a problem. And this letter is from Bill in Hope, who says that he is a less humble farmer in Hope, Maine. And his P.S. says, Hearing Django reminds me of the defunct Hope for Jazz and their MC. Well, that was nice of Bill. Right? I'd love to hear from you, too. I am the humble farmer at gmail.com. Thank you. 
James P. Johnson, keep off the grass. You are listening, of course, to your buddy, the humble farmer, right here on your favorite radio station. And you know, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time right here. Thank you for listening. Someone told me that I should put honey on the bug bites on my ankle. Ever heard of such a thing? You ever heard of putting honey on mosquito or bug bites? I asked my radio friends if honey should be applied directly to infected mosquito bites to heal the infection. Tim White wrote back, Won't that attract more ants? Or perhaps it will inspire someone to lick your ankles, thus soothing them. (laughs) And you know what Tim says might be true when you think about this you realize that dogs don't lick people because dogs like people. Dogs are, what are they after? They're after the salt or the minuscule food particles on your skin. Jim says, here's another radio friend, Jim says that biting your honey could bring you ankle biters. It's rather convoluted, doesn't it? Anyway, I read that toothpaste, as well as honey, were good for bug bites. So I put a tad of honey on that bite and put a Band-Aid on that, went to bed, and you know, the next day the itch was gone, all gone. Now, I trust in science. I'm not a superstitious man, as the Godfather says. Oh, he was a superstitious man, used to be. But I am not a superstitious man, unlike the Godfather. But I've had itchy ankles off and on for a few years now because of the cuffs on my pants. I don't know what it is about old age. Some people get itchy ankles. And I can't wait for my ankles to get itchy again so I can put just a little bit of honey on it just to see if it goes away. Zip bang. Now you know about these things. Why didn't you tell me about it years and years ago?
Dim dim blink blink. Django. Last Friday, I bought a 2009 psychology book for a quarter, mint condition, mint condition. 2009 psychology book. Paid a quarter for it. You know that I like to pick up the newest psychology and sociology books because. There's always something in there that we can talk about. Open it to any page and there's something interesting there. You know, the words we can use in public or on radio or anywhere are always changing. And not only the words, but the things we can talk about are always changing. So there's a big difference in psychology books that were printed 50 years ago and the psychology books that are printed today. And there's even a big difference between psychology books printed today and psychology book, books printed 10 years ago. 50 years ago, when I took my first psychology courses, we had to learn about Terman. Professor Bowman was always talking about Terman, Terman. We had to memorize the difference in IQ between idiots, imbeciles, and mor- morons and write this on a test. And I don't think they even use those terms in a valid context anymore, and you only see these words in newspapers and letters to the editor. I went through the subject index of this nice new psychology textbook, and I went through the table of contents, and although it jumps right in, starts right out the first page there with critical thinking, which as you know has been banned in schools in Texas, (laughs) I don't see anything in this book about religion. It dares to go as far as pseudo-psychologies, you know, palms and planets. There's a section on palms and planets and phrenology, that kind of thing. You want to remember that nowadays the authors of science textbooks walk a narrow line if they expect to sell these books outside of college communities in the entire South and and Midwest of the United States. This great book, it tells kids how to study, health, stress, coping, antisocial behavior, conditioning and learning. And of course, conditioning, you know, that's a good thing to know about. You might suspect that not many people do. Tells about operant conditioning. You know, that was my favorite course in college. You've heard me say I've even taught a course in operant conditioning to teachers. Mentions Freud and Maslow, Adler and Harney and and, and Jung. Fun, you know, if I were rich, I'd still be taking classes in things like this that that interest me. Carl Rogers. You better believe I'm going to have fun getting my quarter's worth out of this book, and we'll be talking about it. When I read certain things in a book like this, I'd like to give it to so many of my good friends who are very, very smart, but who have never read anything like this. They've never read a psychology book. What do you think? Does science have the ability to open the eyes of the untutored when they are over 50? Or or do you think the old people are so set in their ways that one really has to be young to derive the inherent benefits in a textbook on science? Of course, I'm the humble farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Thank you for listening.
Stay tuned. Django. Again, only because I pushed the wrong button, of course. Only two buttons to push, I pushed the wrong one. 50% chance of getting it right. That could only happen here on the Humble Farmer Show, which you can hear, with any luck at all, right here on your favorite radio station, every week at this time. Thank you for listening. During a February blizzard that was supposed to be the worst in 30 years, Governor Deval Patrick declared a state of emergency across Massachusetts and banned non-emergency vehicles from roadways after 4 p.m. What was the fine? $500 or something and six months in jail was pretty stiff fine for being out there. And of course, my thoughts when I saw it were just like yours. Good luck. <laughs> right? Good luck. 
Are they going to ticket people who are out in the storm? Because we know they can shut down the turnpikes. But you know as well as I do, there's always someone who thinks they will just barely have time to get from here to Grammy's house and will try to beat the deadline. You know they're going to get stuck. And you know as well as I do that anyone driving in a storm like that, those people who get stopped are going to be angry. You know, been doing this for years, all of a sudden I can't drive in a blizzard. If there is one thing Americans hold dear, it is the right to drive during a blizzard until they get stuck and then have to be rescued or have their frozen bodies removed from their cars two days later. Every note and <laughs> big changes. I'm going to never tell you the name of an album, but that is Unforgettable with Love, Natalie Cole, and 
You've heard me play that many times. But really like the arrangements in there, the changes, the the bass playing in there, the voice and everything so good. I how much you want to bet that even I would sound good singing with a backup like that, huh? Anyway, we read in the newspaper that gun experts prime lawmakers for session. Some folks wrote in to express surprise that the gun lobby would invite main legislators to a gun workshop. And this is the point of what we're going to talk about here. Those who were surprised obviously don't know the first thing about the life of a main state legislator. From what I have seen and heard, legislators are invited to an unending number of breakfasts and dinners and suppers and workshops. After eating, they get to hear what the Grange or the NRA or the UPS has to say about upcoming bits of legislation. Two legislators who always vote against each other on every issue might eat dinner together every day and become very close, lifelong friends. Voting on bills that you have never seen has to happen. And if you've never served in the legislature, this sounds neither right nor reasonable, so ask your legislator friend to explain to you the legislative process. Ten or fifteen legislators who live in town might go to a friend's house for supper. They might be joined by a lawyer who represents the tobacco or liquor interests in Maine. And over home-made roast chicken, they might exchange views on what they think will be the best thing to do for Maine people. The most difficult part for many legislators is sitting in a small room and keeping a straight face while listening to a hired gun in a dark suit and tie stand and lie for some organization. And then there is the legislator who sits next to you in your committee who doesn't seem to understand anything that anyone says and has to have it repeated or explained to him over and over, which drives you and everyone else in the room crazy. Being legislator is a tough life, with 18-hour days not counting the commute for many. Not many people can do it. I know I couldn't. When I posted this on a newspaper blog, someone who read it said, This is why I never bother to vote.
some of these days you're going to be so lonely. Do 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 do. I once had a friend who was a senator. She went to Ireland with me when I spoke at some international humor convention in Cork, Ireland. So, there's a few months there. I got an inside look at how laws are made in Maine. I spent a lot of time in Augusta, sitting up back in the Senate chamber, waiting for my friend to get out of work, as it were, and it was not unusual to see me reading the book in the back of the room. When senators brought visitors in from home, they would send a note down to Charlie Prey at the front desk. Charlie Prey was the president of the Senate back then. Charlie would read the names of the visitors. The senators would all rise and applaud the guests. And one more clam digger from Machias would go home, feeling good about the way things are done in Augusta. One day, when things were probably slow in that chamber, some wit sent my name down to the front desk. Charlie wrapped the gavel there, brought the room to order, and announced that the humble farmer was visiting, and would the Senate please rise and greet him. All stood and applauded. I stood, acknowledged the applause, and the next day I sent Charlie Prey a bill for $500 for the humble farmers making a personal appearance on the floor of the Maine State Senate.
Scott Hamilton here on the Humble Farmer Program, where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Thank you for listening. I am thehumblefarmer at gmail.com, because I'd love to hear from you. Question of the week is, do you answer your telephone if you don't know who is calling? I do, when it's a main number, because I can see it on the screen. Main number, 207-so-and-so. But all across our great land, many people wanting to sell us something or enlist our aid have apparently learned that some main people will answer their phone if it is an in-state call, which is why telemarketers calling from California and Massachusetts can now prefix a main number to their machine when they call Maine. Perhaps you can explain this to me. I wouldn't be surprised if their machine can prefix a New Hampshire area code when they call New Hampshire and a Vermont area code when they call Vermont. In other words, you can no longer tell where a call originates. I just got a call asking for Marsha. I asked what it concerned and was told, The environment. Well... Do you know anyone who tries to preserve the planet any more than your buddy Humble? I asked him if he knew me and what I did. He said he didn't. I asked him where he was, and he said, Massachusetts. I told him that I only answered my phone when I knew who it was or when the call came from within the state. I told this man that even at that minute, I was making a television program that was environmentally oriented and that I could do no more. I don't feel good about hanging up on this nice man who wanted to talk with my wife about the environment, but I feel violated. He only got me to answer the phone because here he was in Massachusetts calling me with a main area code. And don't you think he pretty well knew that? Now, because we talk about things here that have to do with you, what do you think? Do you screen your telephone calls, or do you chat for half an hour with the man who calls from Arizona, tells two jokes, and then tries to sell you some tools?
Plinkety-plink Django here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening. I'm a slave to my Facebook because I have many well-educated friends, some of whom are also very intelligent, and many intelligent friends, some of whom are also well-educated. I already have. I already have more mentors on my Facebook page contributing to my education than I can handle. So when friends suggest that I add one of their friends, I check out his his or her qualifications rather carefully. Unless there is someone out there who is of the caliber of my present mentors and teachers, I don't need any more. So when I get a friend request, I do as I'm sure you do. I go to their page and look down to their likes and dislikes. And when I see wild-eyed slogans posted on a background of flags and a lot of name-calling, whatever cause they espouse, well, you know what you do. I have even refused Facebook friend requests from people I already consider very good friends, people I've known for years, only because I don't want these good friends to read the most intimate thoughts of a conservative main man who lived too long in Sweden. I admire longtime radio friend Peg, who tells it like it is, and is not about to read the rambling of grade schoolers in what is hopefully a postdoctoral seminar conducted by scholars representing many fields. <sighs> of course, when I babble nonsense or encourage two or three provincials to babble nonsense on my page, you know, to amuse the majority, uh, to amuse the majority, please remember that although I've lived for over 20 years under the thumb of a type A woman, Because I write the rules, this Facebook page is mine.
rapido. Garnai. Time to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening to The Humble Farmer. With any luck at all, I'm right here on your favorite radio station every week at this time, playing old-fashioned music. Just for you, I'm the humble farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. While riding my bicycle, I saw two fluffy white pinstripes in the sky. So far away, you couldn't see the planes that caused them. Two hundred years ago, it would have been impossible to give a scientific explanation for two similar pinstripes. But they would have provided a firm foundation for a new religion. Mm-hmm.